right, welcome to podcast number 96. We're only four away from the big 100. You guys ready for that? <laughs> Not at all. Yeah. Not at all. But that, that music still gets me like pumped up every time. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, it's good rocking out music. Am, am I supposed to get aroused? Is is that is that a thing with that no, music? Th- this is this is ninety six, not sixty nine, Tim. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> figure it out. Figure okay. it out. <laughs> uh, so as always, five, this podcast is brought to you by uh, the Five Pin Universe crew. I'm your host, Carrie, dazed and confused, Kreitz, because of taxis and I don't know what's going on. Literally, nicknames were done after seven o'clock today. We have Dexter getting a dog, Wiseman. Tim, make the call, Wiseman, and Daryl Skinny D. Bradley. You can ask him in the comments what that nickname's all about. Yeah, we'll tell him later. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so uh, what's new, guys? What's going on? I've just been slaving away in an office, so you guys got to tell me the stories. It's, wow. uh, it's, it's almost gardening season. We're getting an yeah. early start to it. Yeah. Yeah. Starting to build it. Yeah, cleaning, cleaning up the yard. Uh, you know what? I actually, I actually had some work to do the last couple of weeks. Um, feels great doing some work at work. So, I, I mean, <laughs> as good as good as it is to like figure out what we owe people, <laughs> you know, calling the uh, ca- calling the season over and being like, okay, we, we got to pay these people back. <laughs> that that yeah. that's the work you have to do. So that's not great. <laughs> <laughs> just, I'm just saying. Yeah. Holding on to it and then waiting and hoping to do something yeah. and finally just having to make the call. Yeah. 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 So we, we got that. Uh, Brett, I can bowl any day I want. I don't choose to. <laughs> Brett, that's pretty rude for us Albertans that were uh, flaunting it in Manitoba's face back when we could play the eight game. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You were invited. Yeah. Could somebody block Brett? <laughs> I, heard, I heard that's plausible. Put him in Facebook jail. Let's go. We, we could maybe manage that. Uh, yeah, so um, obviously we're 96 episodes in again. I can't believe that uh, this is an ongoing thing. Um, wow, I had, a, I had a train of thought and I lost it. What are we going to do for 100? We, we, we kind of got a bit of a brainstorm and an engine going. So I, mm-hmm. I think I it'll think, be a fun uh, show. I think we're just going to have the four of us and we're going to have a good podcast, I think. I don't know. I think we're going to – I thought I thought we talked about maybe bringing some guests on. Like That's a good thing. trying to be elusive here. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. it's, all a, it's all a mystery for everybody else still. Maybe an hour and a half of what's my score. Oh, no. <laughs> Worst podcast ever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Might not have a top, be... top 10 moments. Maybe you need to do a top 10 like best guests, right, in the top 100. Yeah. Yeah. Got, yeah. Go through the archives and say these were the best ones or the best individual stories or, or whatever, right? We're going to have some sort of a top 10. Yeah. We'll, we'll try blooper, and uh, blooper, blooper, blooper reel. Blooper reel. <laughs> yeah. 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 Some worst um, comments. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so obviously our sponsor of the week, once again, is All-Star Bowling Sales. They're uh, going to be giving away a prize again. So you have to get your comments in if you want to be part of that draw. 
that Dexter is preparing right now yeah. on his yeah. keyboard. <laughs> Dexter, are you planning to be quiet while you're typing? <laughs> I am. <laughs> Suspiciously typing, yeah. Nobody can hear me tiptoeing down to the cookie jar. <laughs> <laughs> oh we all hear you next year yeah yeah <laughs> um once again if you want to support the podcast uh you can become a patreon member at patreon.com slash five pin universe and become a patron for as little as two dollars a day and there's several other tiers and merchandise discounts and all that good stuff and i guess we could bring that up too um so now available on the store at five pin universe dot ca uh the wcbt is selling merch on our store as well made it a little bit easier for them and uh kept everything in one place so hopefully uh it's a one-stop shop for most people yeah it's i, I mean we work so closely hand in hand obviously with wcbt there's a lot of people with both hands in the same cookie jar and um it, it just it just makes sense i mean all the products are coming from the same place anyways so at least putting it all into one place is kind of good for, uh, kind of good for the consumers out there too. Because if you're looking at getting some five pin U stuff, but you might want to get some WCBT stuff, you can get some discounts on shipping. It'll be all shipped together. You don't have to buy from two different places. So ultimately, I think it works pretty good. We have a lot of people that support both associations and or whatever whatever you want to call one us. One association, one business yeah. that is barely <laughs> afloat. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, exactly. but no, uh, we appreciate every everything everybody does. Even just commenting in the chat obviously keeps this podcast lively. And uh, if you don't want to donate money, donate your time and watch all these podcasts and help support it, share yeah. it, like it, all that good stuff. I think David Cisco might be in the running for comment of the year so far. <laughs> yeah, yeah comment. Literally comment. Well, somebody at first just put the comment is in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah that was that was I'm Jeff in. because yeah, I I I forgot Jeff in the in the thing last week and I got a little bit called out so I oh, had it, it preemptively all set up for him just in case. Hey, uh, where's Jeff Cannon? Like, where's Daryl's hat? <laughs> yeah, where's your hat? Yeah. Let's where's Mitch Davies? Let's talk about him for a sec. Uh, where's well, Mitch? Mitch is having a hard time with COVID right now. Mitch is having a hard time with COVID. Don't. I had talk with him. He's having a hard time with COVID. Who's that? Mitch? Mitch is having a hard time Mitch. with COVID. They, they took oh. away his golf too. So, yes, yeah. Golf That's courses right. are about to open here. Nice segue, Tim. Golf courses are opening. First game tomorrow. Yeah. Oh, visor, yeah. baby. There's Jeff Canham. There we yeah. go. Yeah. <laughs> we, we need to have a running uh, golf tournament of sorts. Maybe we can't do the five pin eight gamer. Maybe we'll have a running golf tournament. Anybody's welcome, except for Manitoba here. So. <laughs> yeah. Anybody's welcome. Well, Skeletta and O'Callaghan, they can they can come out. They're they're chatting away. Brett, yeah. you're we'll do it like canceled. that. <laughs> Closest to the pin on the on a par three competition, and it has to be videoed from the beginning until the end, in order to verify how close you are. Somehow, somehow we can come up with a little competition for golfers but if, out there. If that's me, I'm going to sit there and I'm going to hit 17 shots at that. <laughs> Yeah, with the camera. Where are you going to go when you're going to be able to hit 17 shots on a golf course? What, what, the, the group ninja is going to come rough you up, what, man. What, what about you time yourself I'll on the fastest way. par three you can get it completed? Yeah, 
Did you see that one video? There was a v- just a video on TikTok or on Twitter. You're a TikTok guy, Dexter. We should plug your TikTok or the, the Five Pin Universe TikTok here. Yeah, we, have, we it, have one. We yeah. have a Five Pin U TikTok. But there was a, a big brawl in a golf at a tee box because guys were taking super long. There was yes. another group that came up and it was just a big brawl that kind of happened. It was sort of, you know, We're, we're going to start doing that with Weber every time he's slow on the lanes. Oh, man. <laughs> just fight him full, full contact bowling who's going to win in a full contact bowling match what zone will win that I mean I think most of the Edmonton zone is rather on the larger side <laughs> <laughs> those northern boys might win on something there though oh you're right you're right Dustin, I don't think I'd want to fight yeah, I don't think I'm mullet, man. He's ready to party. He's ready to go but, down, man. It, Barry Oni, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mess with Barry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, no, then no. you get the southern boys, you get the ranchers and the farmers out there. You get Curtis Deering in the mix, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. for sure. All right. I think it's about that time to bring in the special guest. Uh, so we'll run our all star commercial. And once again, comment in the chat there if you want to be part of, of that draw at the end here. All right, we're going to bring in our special guest for podcast number 96, all the way from Trail, BC, and probably the best nickname out of everyone. It is Ron Big Daddy Sanez. (laughs) Hey, guys. Welcome aboard. It's good to have you on. Good to hear from you guys. Yeah, it's been a little while. I have the feeling that Ron or, or Big Daddy, you would have done okay in a uh, full contact bowling match. <laughs> yeah, that would have been fun. <laughs> I, I could almost seeing you actually having a full contact bowling match. Like you, you and Darren, you and Darren. Was there ever like some full contact bowling involved with your late night shenanigans? No, it was just uh, verbal exchanges. <laughs> <laughs> But I, uh, actually, I had a lot of full contact with an Edmonton bowler when he bowled out here at Matt Schultz. We used oh, to do yeah. the, we used to do what I called the belly bump, Big Daddy's belly bump. Yeah, I could see that for sure. Schultz <laughs> running up doing the belly bump. Nice. Yeah. So what's going on, Ron? How are things uh, in your world these days? Obviously out in trail, um, bowling alley, your proprietor at the bowling alley there. Um, what are the restrictions and what's what's going on there? Uh, well, we, our restrictions, I think, have not been quite as tight over the last several months as Alberta. We have been able to be open three days a week with family families only bowling. And, uh, you know, like every second lane of bowling, not... Uh, for the social distancing and uh, things in the winter were shut down as far as league play in uh, probably the first week of December. And uh, from there, we, we have stayed open, uh, but on a limited basis for sure. And uh, it's been bad for everybody. Our, 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 our province has suffered too big time and I'm sure you guys have too, for sure. And uh yeah, it's definitely not an isolated thing. It's it's uh, all bowling alleys are struggling everywhere. That's for sure. But it's it's nice to hear that you guys have been staying open in some capacity, although knowing full well that families only every other lane is just not enough at all. For sure, we were in the same boat for a little while until they shut us down, and 
um, it just yeah that just doesn't doesn't really pay the bills. Yeah, I think it varies from center to center depending on their financial situation. Basically, guys, you know, totally, totally. And some some it's not worth it for them to stay open. The the cost of staying open is not worth it. Yeah. Are there other centers in Nelson and Castlegar um, in, in that region? Are they are they open? Yeah, Castlegar has stayed open until just recently. Um, Nelson, there hasn't been a bowling center in Nelson for a few years now. They've shut down. And uh, Cranbrook now is uh, with the other big, bigger center in our in the Kootenays, which is the East Kootenays, and they have just recently been sold. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I saw Castlegar was up for for sale too, right? Isn't they it? are? Yeah. I, yeah. Roland and I keep in touch. He's the operator, Roland Hanley of Castlegar, and uh, him and I keep in touch uh, extensively. And he is trying to sell, and uh, he, you know he's been in the business a long time too, and he just uh, feels it's time to get out. And it, it, a lot of these proprietors are finding it's it's hard to stay in the business, you know, mm-hmm. emotionally. Totally, I think I think that bowling alley has got it right though, because isn't it? How many lanes is it in Castlegar? Six lanes. Six lanes, but they okay. have the they have the living quarters above, right? He's got a, he's got a really really nice living quarters above. Yeah. It's a gr- ideal situation for young people that want to get into the business. It's been a well run bowling alley for many years, and uh, you've got your uh, your residence upstairs, your bowling center down below. And, and a really good uh, base of customers in that city too, just like in our city. That's awesome. That's awesome. I was I was eyeing it up a little, but we're committed over this way. <laughs> Sounds like a bit of a retail broker here. I, I like it. Can we send up the, the link to the-, the Oh yeah. The, for sale? <laughs> here you go. Big Daddy's getting commissions. Yeah. No, no, not at all. He's, he's a friend and I, I just yeah. want to see everybody succeed, so. Yeah. Now we were talking before you, how long have you been proprietor? You're now 1974. Yeah. February of 1974. I, I moved up from the Island and bought the bowling center. Not sure why at the time, I guess I thought that I didn't want to work for a living. So I thought I'd do something easy, like run a bowling alley. Well, you know how that turned out. (laughs) (laughs) It must've been fine if you stuck with it for almost 50 years. Oh yeah. Yeah. This great city. Uh, small population city, but really, really solid people and great customers, and uh, okay. and I had a great wife to uh, support me. So <laughs> I have to say that because she's in the here. she's in the building. So she can hear you. Right now. she's watching you. She's got a she's got a sign on the other side. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, where did you start bowling when you know young? Where did where did you start playing? Well, I'm almost embarrassed to tell you how I started. I was no. 12 years old and I got a job as a pin boy at the old Brecon Lanes in Nanaimo. And uh, that's where I learned to bowl. And you know how you learned in those days? Uh, you got to set your own pins up and when things aren't busy and go down and knock them down and then set them up again and started like that. And uh, that's, that's where I started to bowl. Yeah, and got an interest in the game, of obviously. Um, the people there that owned the place was uh, a, a guy named John Britton. And as you know, Ray Britton now, who's, who's done a fat, fabulous job in the Nanaimo with the bowling center there and been in the executives across the country and in BC. Um, 
they uh, they were people that his his father uh, John was one of the person people that I really uh, looked looked up to at the time. Yeah, that's awesome. That must have been quite the job. I've I've heard that uh, being a pin boy was not always a fun job. It was an active job, but it was not always a very fun job at times. Um, yeah, you you got paid big money though. We got a nickel a line and uh, set one league. You could make a buck fifty. <laughs> so, did you have to have? I mean, if the bowling center had twelve lanes, did you have to have twelve pin boys? You know how, no, or did no, you do it? No. Do four, how many lanes at a time did each person manage? The original Brecken Lanes was uh, uh, only a six-lane center, and uh, you got two lanes. You you set a set of lanes. You jump from lane one and two. You jumped across and set the lanes. Yeah. So would you literally jump down onto the? the decks and have to set them up and move them out of the way. Like, so you're up and down and up and down as yep. we go up and down, up and down, kept you in shape. Now, now the old, the old, uh, those machine or those lanes had like a little pedal in the back of them, right? Where you push yep. down and spikes came up. Yeah. And then you, that's where you would put the pins you put down your on. Foot on the pedals. The spikes comes up and you put the pins on there yeah. on top of the spikes. And if you didn't like the guys that were throwing the ball, you moved it off the spike a little bit and, Maybe they go. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But there's some little side betting too. Like, hey, listen, oh, kid, yeah. if, you, uh, if you pitch off the two pin a little bit for my buddy here, yeah. there's a nipple in it for you. If you saw a bowler you didn't really like, you know, that was, you know. <laughs> but but that, would, that was pretty often, though. From what I hear, like, there were a lot of people that were like complete dicks to the pin boys, you know? Oh, yeah. From, yeah. So, I mean, I, I can imagine that, that a nice little, like, subtle win for yourself whether they know or not but guys being a dick to you and you're like hmm, all right no perfect yeah. game for you buddy so, so be honest <laughs> yeah. here ron it, how many how many bowling balls did you have to dodge not yes. the balls you had to dodge the pins because <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if you know that there was a slot between the two lanes like where you put your feet and if you were down on one lane and somebody threw a fastball and a pin came across and went through the slot, you could get hit, you know? Oh, man. So. We should have had danger pay in those days. You know? yeah. I just see some of these hard throwers now come with a ball just ripping it and splattering the pins, just bouncing all over the place. They're coming, yeah, for sure. Yeah, but anyway, that was the start. And then you started bowling, and when did you start to get a little bit more competitive? Um, uh, probably you know, uh, league bowling in the early 60s. Yeah, and there was a lot of great bowlers on the island at that time that I looked up to, guys like Wally Weinberger and Fred Hickey and uh, maybe name some that you, Jake Jacobs, guys that you might not remember or know, but um, that's where I really got into it. And uh, it was a... Uh, an eye opener watching guys like that that were averaging 270, 275, 280 in those days. Yeah. It's like, it's like what, what the boys are throwing now. Yeah. 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 It's crazy high now. And I mean, back then, of course, everything is wood lanes too, right? And all free fall too. Right. When did string pins, string lanes start coming out? Um, in the 60s. Yeah. Yeah. In the 60s, probably late 60s. But when I first started, of course, there was no YBC and uh, no youth program. 
Uh, eventually, I think that came in at about, I'm guessing, 65, 66. And then I went into coaching the kids and that sort of thing. But um, when I first started league bowling, uh, one of the most interesting things was uh, the rules were a little different. You remember the blowpin guys, right? You heard about the blowpin? Yeah. Okay. And I'm not sure if you know, uh, I'm left-handed. And I know right. you guys have your things about lefties, right? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So uh, the fact is the first year or two that I bowled in an adult league, I was given the option on the blow pin, whether I wanted to use the left corner pin or the right corner pin. Yeah. But yeah. a right-handed bowler had to use the left corner pin as this blow pin. So I maybe don't know exactly what a blow pin is here. Can you explain I, I, that? Oh, well, you don't. The counter okay. Pin. The, counter the pin. counter pin. The counter pin. Okay. You had to get the two pin down. You had to get the left two in pin order down. for anything to count. You had okay. I I, I recognize it, the counter pin. I didn't realize the blow pin. Yeah. Okay. I'm so sorry. As a, I, yeah. As a left-handed bowler, you were able to ch choose. Is that yeah. why? Yeah. But not a right-handed bowler didn't have a choice. And now. To this day, I don't know whether that was a local rule, a provincial rule, or a national rule. I do not know. Maybe yeah. you guys can research that one day and let well, me know. We do, we do have a guy that is part of the rule book <laughs> corner. Maybe he can find some historic. Yes. Uh... Yes. De Dexter, Dexter, just yeah. Don yeah, Sims do on that. here. Don can probably just yeah. do it for you. Yeah, Don Don Sim, pipe in. Uh... Yeah, Don, Don would know. But yeah, because uh, yeah, from my understanding, I thought lefties had to shoot for the right is what I thought it used to be. So that's interesting. And that may have been and it may have been just our local uh, bowling center at the time. And they just said, as a lefty, because we feel sorry for you because you're left handed, that you're going <laughs> to get a choice. I don't know. That's fair. You can't get a pair of scissors that work properly for you. So you can right. pick a corner. Yeah. Where's the equality <laughs> in that? Where's the equality in that? Like, the yeah, you're right. You know, like, uh, there we go. You know, always no, giving no. the left-handed an advantage, right? Yeah, yeah. Give them they got their else. own store, the Leftorium, and everything. That's horrible. I think it's because we needed it. <laughs> <laughs> I okay, maybe you can inform us. Eisenhower always told me you put left-hand oil down. So, <laughs> well, <laughs> okay, you know Eisenhower's right. <laughs> <laughs> I. I got accused at my bowling center that if we were in a league night and I bowled really good and all the right-handed bowlers, which are most of them bowled bad, that I was putting left-handed oil down. So I thought this is a good story. So I'll just perpetuate it and say, tonight, boys, when you come in, I got the right-handed oil on here tonight. <laughs> oh. I like it. I like it. Yeah. It's amazing how often people are accused of that, though, of, like, oiling the lanes to suit their shot or whatever, and I don't know. It, it, it You hear people, like, accuse people of that all the time. I, I don't think we'd ever do it. We're too lazy to figure out what works for us. <laughs> like, no. Good one. Good one, Dex. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you you sure got them. Yeah. Anyway. What uh my last question on the counter pin, what year did that stop and it go to you know It was 
It, it must have been in the very early 60s. Like it was, okay. uh, yeah, I, I can't give you an exact year, but, and I don't know, again, it whether it was something that was a national or provincial rule or a zone rule, I don't know. So when did, so maybe Don's What was the reception of that? Yeah. Um, 1967 was when the counterpin. Oh, as far as when the counterpin came out. Yeah. I would think it was 67. And I think, I think they might've taken it out in the East before they took it out one year later in the West. Yeah. Uh, Eastern. So counterpin and blow by, uh, blow pin was abolished by CBC, uh, in 67 Eastern Canada adopts the no counterpin rule, but Western Canada, uh, Canada disagrees. And also the CBC Canadian Championships from 69 to 71. Yeah. And then Western Canada agrees to abolish it in 71. So 71 was when. Typical Eastern Canada pushing around us Westerners. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, what, what was the reception to that when that happened? I mean, obviously it wasn't great out in the West, but like were people were people happy that that was gone? Or were they kind of indifferent? Or were they mad about it? Do you oh, my, my memories my memories of it is people were really happy to see it go. I mean, yeah. I, I can remember people that actually got a negative score. Crazy. I mean, think about how it helped the game by taking that out of there. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, yeah, if you're a top bowler, like, I mean, you guys, you know, too, you're going to you're going to shoot 80, 90 percent of your corner pins. Didn't make a lot of difference. But you got people that are just beginning the game. And they wind up with a score of 30 or 20 or 50 or something because they've blown, or I call it a blow, but a counter pin miss uh, five times in a game. If you're uh, Dexter Wiseman, he probably misses it like that. So I was going to say, <laughs> you had your giant smirk on your face, <laughs> and I was going to tell you to shut up before you even said anything. Uh, Jim, Jim, I apologize on behalf of Kerry. Uh, <laughs> I was just fine on my corners this year. Until we yeah. got shut down. <laughs> Two months. Whatever. It was, eight weeks it was eight weeks and it was real solid. <laughs> It'd be an interesting tournament is uh, is the, the counterpin tournament, right? A, a fun, cool. fun event, right? Yeah, you could do that. That'd be great. Yeah, I've always thought about that. Or doing like original scoring too, yeah. you know, because you know, I, th- I believe originally it was like one, two, three, four, five across. Yeah. I never right? bowled under that, but I remember that, yeah. Yeah. yeah, a couple different versions. That'd be yeah. good homage. Um, so then into the into the seventies, Ron, what was the competitive bowling scene like then? Was there? I mean, obviously the Open, you know, Masters. Uh, was there cash tournaments, events? Where did you play to to keep, you know, getting your skills better and better? Uh, yeah, cash tournaments. I went to as many as I could with owning a bowling center. You got other things you have to do, but. Uh, I remember going to Alberta a lot in the early days, late 60s, early 70s. And uh, when it was at Fairview up on 16th Ave in mm-hmm. Calgary, the, the old Fairview Center there, and uh, competing against some guys that opened my eyes and how how many great bowlers there was, guys like Stan Black, Don Sim, and uh, you, you know, you name them. I mean, they were, uh, they were awesome. And... Uh, it, it, you learned a lot just by watching them, yeah. And so in the 70s, uh, when I came to trail, uh, we had quite a few good bowlers in the Kootenays, like East and West Kootenays. 
and uh, we were able to put up a pretty competitive team in the in the open in the late seven seventies and early eighties, and we actually won the provincials three out of four years, bowling against some great teams down in Vancouver and the Lower Mainland and Fraser Valley, and. Uh, Eventually, our numbers died off later in the years, probably late 90s, early 2000s. And we weren't even able to com compete as a zone anymore. And we eventually joined up with the Okanagan as one zone for the bowlers that were still competitive and yeah. wanted to play in the open. Yeah, totally. And, and that's natural progression, I guess. It I mean, you have to yeah. Yeah. join... You, you, like you said, you can't be super competitive if your numbers are dwindling, then it's what's the point. So, yeah, smart of you to join together um, to do that. So how many open provincials would you have gone to? Do you have any idea of that? I think it's eight. Okay. You mean for the for the open? Yeah. Yeah, for the open provincials. Or I thought that was uh, open nationals. Oh, open provincials? Yeah. Oh, I, gosh. No, that's in the... <laughs> 30s, 40s. Uh, probably 30. Nice. Yeah. That's a lot. I don't even know what that number would be. <laughs> be cool. Tim, Tim, we're talking about creating the stat book of, you know, an open provincials, like a provi A5 yeah. provincial stat book. You know, the, this guy, Bruce has bowled 25 times. Diane's bowled 35 times. You know, over that lifetime, it's 7,000 games and you have average of 235. Ron's would be super cool to see in BC. Right. This yeah, I could, I could give you some numbers eventually, maybe on that. But yeah, that uh, I, I haven't thought about that. Right. I think that's some cool things to to learn. I think remember was it was it Helen Godmere that we had on, and we she said the number of games that she bowled at a national championship. It was yeah, it was crazy. It was a crazy amount. I, um, uh, let me pull it up here. I actually, have it here. Right. I mean that on you know on on Ron playing. The number of opens that you would have played, the number of games that you would have played, Ron, and the number and what you would have averaged in your record. I think these are some cool stats that some provinces should dive into further. You know, I know Ontario's got a rich history too of people playing in a lot of events, right? Oh, what, I could imagine. Yeah. What were those? So, do you remember some of those highlights uh, in the early days of the opens and some of those fun teams you would have gone in, some competitive moments that you would have uh, competed in? Um, sure. Uh... I guess 1980 was the biggest one. When you when you got the silver medal at uh, at uh, yeah, we, nationals. provincially we won uh, we won the open uh, team event and I won the singles. Yeah, so that was a big year for me, obviously. Mm -hmm. And uh, at that and at that time though, then you had to drop off the team and you could only bowl one event. Hmm. So oh, your really? team in in BC, your team won and you won singles. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, provincials. So that would have been a pretty cool provincials to experience winning both. But now, did you win the singles step? Was it a single step ladder at the end on the Saturday or a Sunday? Or was it at the beginning of the event? No, at the end. Uh, BC always played the event uh, on the Sunday at the end. Right. In and those days. Still, and still the same. Okay. Yeah, still the same. And I remember the year that I actually bowled a year in Alberta and I really thought what Alberta done was a, a better, a better way to do it. And they, they got this in back in 2001, I think when I bowled in one year in Alberta, they bowled the singles on the Wednesday 
And they got the singles out of the way. So everybody as a bowler, if you were in two events, you could concentrate on your team event. Yeah. Yeah. It always blew my mind the way BC does it. I, I was bowling out in Alberta for so long. And then I went out and watched a few uh, BC BC provincials. We talked about this a couple of podcasts ago too, but I always thought it was absolutely crazy that they played the singles in the mornings every day at bright and early, like 7 a.m. at the bowling yeah. alleys. And like half these people are walking in with booze in their in their cups just to just just to get started for the You'll day. Try to and, yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's, uh it was crazy. Yeah, it was it was crazy. But I, I thought our days are super long, but then you add that in on top of it too. I couldn't even imagine. It's a long day. Yeah, but we were tougher out in BC, you know. <laughs> makes sense, makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> uh so Ron, um Kind of, I just got a text about a question. How many decades have you made nationals in? Uh, uh, five different decades. That's that's super impressive. That's crazy. I think it's just the way it turned out, though, guys. Really, like the first one was 1979, and then made it in the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, 2009, and then 2014 which was the last year that I competed. Yeah. Right. That's a great so achievement. That's amazing. Sure. Yeah. So, and they were all men's team events. Right. Yeah. So um, you, you had mentioned before the podcast started that you've uh, retired from competitive bowling. Yeah. Yeah. I had at 2014, I already had determined it was going to be my last year and it was, and, uh, after that, I got sick a year later and had some issues, but got over it. And uh, and then I bowled the league play for a couple of years. Now I haven't bowled for three years. And uh, I find myself now that I just want to get out and really come and watch the bowling mm. right now. You like, and I, you and uh, Billy Thomas could be traveling buddies and go to all yeah, the nationals. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 yeah that, that would be awesome. You should absolutely do that. Everybody would love to sit out there and yeah. have a beer or two with you guys. Yeah, Billy is certainly one of my old-time friends that I competed against and always enjoyed his company, and I, I would do that in a heartbeat. Yeah, we, what an awesome dude. Yeah, yeah super For good. Sure. Full, full of stories. Billy, I, I Billy get, Thomas? I don't know if I know about Billy Thomas. Billy Thomas? Nice. Billy, 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 sorry, go ahead. Billy was a... Uh, was a top bowler too back in the seventies and uh, and early eighties and stuff like that. And he was a very good bowler. And he apparently he just developed this thing where he went to every Canadian Championship, uh, Open Championship, year after year after year. And I don't know. At one point, I thought he had been to every one. I really don't know what his record is, but I know it's fabulous. So. Oh yeah, he was that de- he was definitely at the last couple for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it it never changes. Um. He is originally from Medicine Hat here in Alberta. Then he moved. Is he to- really? Okay, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. He actually bowled with Diane um, Violini and uh, the mixed team in the Western Canadians, and he won a couple golds with her. Wow! Before wow. he moved out to the Lower Mainland. So, and know. Diane, like to me, she's legend. Like she's just mm-hmm. the best I've ever seen in yeah. the female side for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And still going. Yeah, I get still going. I, Something I we wanted to touch. Based on as is back in the day when you the singles, um, mm-hmm. we used to have the national champion uh, in the open that then automatically requalified for the next year uh, at nationals. 
Um, any thoughts on that, guys, on, on that rule? I mean, if you are a defending national champion, do you get the right to move back to nationals? You still have to qualify and go through the 15-game block and make the stepladder, but um, what are your thoughts on that? Ron, let's ask you first. Well, you know, that didn't really bother me. I know that happened in 1980 uh, when, uh, when I played in 1980 against the defending champion. I wasn't aware of it at the time, but um, it, whether you had him or you had some, you were going to have a great bowler to compete against one way or the other, right? You still had to beat him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, I didn't think about it or worry about it. Like it was just, that's the way the rule was and you just went with it. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. What do you guys think, Kerry? I I think it's a great uh, incentive too, right? If you uh, if you play well and you become champion, you get to go back the very next year. You can plan it and everything like that. And you should have the right to defend. I get requalifying. You have a chance to defend again. But I just I think it's a really good rule. There's a lot of a lot of bowling tournaments, I guess, back in the states that do that kind of thing, where you automatically get seated as a like um, speak of it, the USBC Masters. If you win it the prior year you automatically get seeded into the top 64 the very next year or you can play the qualifying again if you seed higher you seed higher if you don't you get the 64th spot so i i think it's a good rule but yeah i think i think that works really well for singles for sure um and i think back in the day it could have worked well for teams as well if they ever went that route but i don't think you could do teams now because we 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 just need we need participation numbers so desperately in everything. And if you do that, you're automatically taking like if, if central, if central goes, if central mins in Alberta goes and wins and goes back the next year, that absolutely decimates your team for next year. Really? Yeah. Right. For in, in a provincial level. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm okay with it. Um, I, I, I think it's, it's neat. I mean, obviously, um, I think the money aspect has to come. Who pays for what? It must be maybe the C5 has to, or Masters, or whoever. If it comes to that seating, or the WCBT, if the winner gets put seated back in, if, how that works. Um, if it's just the singles or as a team, if maybe that's part of the budget. Who knows how that works? Um, obviously, being a national champ, I would like to not have to requalify again. That'd be always a bonus for all of us who've been that way before. Um, that's always a nice way. Um, but uh, yeah, it was it was really interesting looking back because uh, when I was doing a little bit of a bio for Ron, I noticed that uh, Jim Fedorenko was uh, seated and and then there was no double knockout. So uh, it was an interesting year for Ron that year, and uh, um, it was an interesting topic to bring up. So yeah, and they, the the thing. The, the only thing that I was disappointed that year was having win the, the men's team event and the singles is I would have loved to have bowled in both events. Mm -hmm. And now yeah. you know how that's changed over the years. Like there's been years where you can only bowl the one event and then there've been years where I think now they still allow you to bowl both events if you want to, right? Now they did a few years that was you had to choose which one to play in, so. Yeah. yeah. I would as well support that the singles gets a chance to go back, but they're also able to play provincials on the team, so they can also then go play both at nationals. That's yeah. Right. yeah. So don't take that opportunity. To, they don't have to play even provincials. Well, they can. Certainly can. 
right? If they yeah. win their provincials even as a single, then the second place gets to go, right? So it, that's a way of re-earning your way. Mm -hmm. You know, my only con would, would be if a single gets to come back the next year and they win and they win and they win, does the number get skewed because they get an automatic berth to nationals? Or is that deflated by the fact that, listen, they still had to beat the best from every single province to win it. So don't take anything away from that national champion. So Yeah, I, I think yeah. if you are beating the province's best bowler year after year yeah. and you're that much better than everybody, because that, 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 that is a feat. That's right? an accomplishment for yeah. sure. Absolutely. That I, I think they earned it. I, yeah. I think we're all sort of here sitting at 5-0 uh, voting. We would say it's a good rule. Allow the, the senior, the single to come back the year after. Let's see what people in the chat, if you can say good rule, um, good rule means you, that the single who wins nationals gets to come back. If you say bad rule, that means no, that there's no automatic re-entry. Re so I want to see what everybody thinks. Good rule, bad rule. Yeah. The other thing, uh, the other thing that happened that that year, uh, if, and maybe you guys would know this, the history of this better than me. That uh, the year before uh, 1980, 1979, I, 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 I believe that Jim Fedorenko won the singles against Kippy Smith, and I believe that they didn't have a stepladder. It was 16 game qualifying. And if you won the qualifying round of 16 games, you were automatically the, BC, the, the singles champion. And I know when I bowled that year in Winnipeg in 1980, I won the qualifying round I, to finish first, but then they incorporated the, uh, the stepladder five against four four against three, three against two, two against one. And I think they did it for the reason because they put it on CBC television that year. It was a televised event. Now, hmm. I may be wrong on this. That's something to check on your history, I guess, there. Fun. Right. Huh. I, I, that's, that's very interesting that, uh, he got through that way and then the very next year it was the match play or the stepladder portion and he defended right is that kind of where you're going with that that I, I i think that happened the year before but my memory is you know i'm getting old guys come on eh? <laughs> yeah, and it's not, i mean a lot of changes each year it's sort of like hmm what's what's happening now yeah they were yeah. trying different things yeah. How about uh, into 2009, a little bit more recent um, at the yep. Open again? I know that the team champion, um, that was a big moment for you too. Can you tell us about some of your team members in that experience playing, uh, playing at Nationals run? Well, I can tell you straight up front, best team I ever bowled on in my life. And we had a secret weapon, Matt Schultz. Because <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you guys know the story that Matt Schultz didn't make the team. So who was on the team to begin with? Yeah, tell us the story. But who were the, the original team members? Uh, there was uh, the, the two, uh, Larry and Chris Rochette, Darren yeah. Rich and myself, and uh, Stu Ryan. And the other, the other fellow was from uh, uh, Vernon that made the team. And I'm trying to remember. R Rush Walski? Okay. okay. Trevor? Trevor, oh, Trevor. Oh, okay. Trevor, okay. Yeah. Oh, and Trevor then, oh, yeah. And he had to drop out 
And Matt, believe it or not, had finished 10th in the roll-off. Wow. Which was unbelievable to us. And then he got to come in as the replacement for uh, Trevor. Crazy. And I remember Darren Rich coming to me and saying, we're going to win the provincials for sure now. <laughs> and I go, what are you talking about? Because I didn't know much about Matt at that time. Yeah. And uh, he came in and he was he was a key to, a, definitely a key to a, a, our team, given the life and the enthusiasm that he had. Yeah. Absolutely. And then when we went to the Nationals, it's the same thing. The first first couple of days, he carried the team as much as anybody. Like, and we and it was a great team. Everybody except me at those times were in their prime. Mia was hanging in there and uh, was able to help him at the end. But that that was a great team to play on. I really enjoyed those guys. Mm -hmm. so who would you have played national at the finals? Uh. You know, Tim? Well, we finished second. We beat Saskatchewan in the semifinal, and then we had to double beat Manitoba. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. you didn't? You weren't a top qualifier. You no, ran. We, no, we were not top qualifier. They, there was a lot of good teams that year. Yeah, a lot beat, of really strong teams. They beat yeah. uh, McKillop and Barber and yeah, and those guys. Yeah. yeah. Double yeah. beat in the in the they in finished the first as well. Yeah. 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 Did you hear that, Barber? You lost, <laughs> lost in the final twice, but yeah. Barbara, are you the anchor or what? I hope you were the anchor and you pitched or something. <laughs> and they had it. They had a. They had a really good team too, and and I know Scott was one of their dominant bowlers, like for mm -hmm. sure. Yeah, yeah, that's fun. So, in your teams, what what position would you have usually preferred to play? All I ever played was anchor. <laughs> They just put me there because a lot of the coaches said that the anchor bowler doesn't matter. The first four, four bowlers are important. So, <laughs> if the well, matter is one by the time it gets to, they're right. But if, if the first not, four guys do their job, why do I have to yeah. worry? Yeah. 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 <laughs> you were like the sacrificial lamb. If you succeeded at the end, fine. You, you got some credit. But if you didn't, well, move yeah. on to the next frame. So. <laughs> I, yeah, uh, I highly doubt that that's the case, <laughs> Ron. I'm well, sure. I always look, quite I a bit to do with it. You know, you guys know that the, the, the leadoff bowler is really important, right? In an, a team event, and especially the open. And yeah. I always looked at it the anchor bowler should be another leadoff bowler. So if you're going to be an anchor bowler, you better act on the lane like you are a leadoff bowler to get your team ready for the next frame. Yep, I agree. Come off with lots of enthusiasm, right? Yeah, and I got momentum. If, you know, times. yeah. If you're if you're struggling, you know, change momentum and throw a yeah. big strike. Get the team going. The other guys for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I, was, I was just about to say, Dexter, your computer <laughs> hasn't fired up. <laughs> Did it screw up? Uh, just a little yeah. bit. Just, just a little, a little bit. bit. Yeah. You're, you're fine. You're fine. We got the gist of what you're yeah. saying. I like that Johnny's Perfect. comment. Bring in some, uh, yeah. Bringing some humbleness there. Banged out 10, three games in a row on the step ladder or something to win the game. So I, I think, yeah, yeah. I think you had uh, had some helping hand and some stuff there. Big daddy. It's good on you. Then um, how about, so then you bowled in Calgary for a couple of years. 
but then 2014, the Open Nationals, that was the last one. Was that you were in, obviously, back in BC for that one? 2014, you remember that one? Yeah, and actually only bowled one year in Calgary. I was out there working for an oil and gas company and administration work and uh, guys that I had connections with in BC. And I kind of residents halfway there and halfway in BC, but I was bowling in the league out there and we we didn't have a zone in BC at the time, mm-hmm. like in the Kootenays. So I, I, I tried out for the Calgary team and I still remembered some of the guys. When I went in there that year, Don Sim was still bowling in the league. Uh, the Ellert, uh, one of the Ellert brothers was still there. I remembered a few of the guys and uh, yeah, I kind of enjoyed it in the league. So I went in the open just for a lark and happened to make the team. And uh, that was the only year I bowled though, because I still had the bowling center. I was going back and forth with my businesses. Yeah. I think I have it. 2002, actually. Was it? Yeah, I was going to say 201 or 202, somewhere in there. Yeah. I have it here. Dexter's really good at, at sending, putting photos up for me. And there was a young guy we had on the team there uh, that was a rookie, and you know him, right? Adam Weber, yeah. Adam Weber, yeah. He's and okay. I, I, I remember saying to myself when I when we bowled in the when I bowled in the provincials with him, I thought this guy's going to be pretty good. <laughs> he turned out better than good. I, yeah. I think I think Weber liked you so much he decided to go for your hairstyle. <laughs> <laughs> oh really <laughs> i haven't seen him um but yeah Great you kid. you had you had Derek home with hair yep and then uh you had shelly struthers as coach you had uh joe wood you had terry yep. for carson for carson uh and then you had uh colin keir like you had a couple really great legends there so yeah there was um, there was a couple of guys there that were I know they had been around the block for sure, and they were great bowlers, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I also find it, yeah. <laughs> I also, I think, I believe your rookie uniform was a bright, uh, was it a French made uniform? <laughs> yeah, I can't remember, something like that. <laughs> they, they were pretty mean to me. You know what, I, I was looking for it, but I never got that photo. They wouldn't give it to me. I guess they respect you enough. We, so. we got some good photos otherwise, though. <laughs> <laughs> well if i find one i'll send it to you <laughs> perfect Tim will hang it above his bed yeah all i know is uh i didn't bowl very good out there anyway in the in the provincials so oh, okay that's a great team though yeah like you said some legends there right mm-hmm. colin joe for sure right and now you got adam and derek absolutely um, and then who did you play with at 2014 um, on the open team there? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Okay. Uh, well, Darren, was on that, Darren was on that team. And uh, I, we actually, uh, we had a substitute come in on that team. Mike Warren. Oh, nice. Got nice. a chance to go with Mike because... One of our bo- – oh, Stu Ryan had dropped off the team. Yeah. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. You must have got silver that year. No, we did nothing. We just oh. – oh, yeah. <laughs> we should have had silver, but <laughs> <laughs> we, did, we didn't – we didn't bowl well our team that year. We just – I don't know. We just didn't click. Yeah. That's, but, a, that's a pretty common thing for Stu, though, right? Stu dropped – well, in that time period, Stu dropped off quite a few teams, I think. He did, yeah. Um, but, I mean – 
kudos to him. It was always usually for good reason. Like he's just he's definitely was very committed to being a good father and supporting supporting his daughter um, in her dancing and stuff like that. So I understand making those decisions, but tough, especially if you want to be competitive. So you just go out and compete and drop off a team. But yeah, interesting. I think it was a hard decision for him. Totally. Yeah, yeah, and and he he is a really really good bowler. Like so much talent, he's got a lot of talent. And and anytime he dropped off the the team that he dropped off of, the sure missed him for sure. Yeah, mm -hmm. totally. I, yeah, I don't know how good you can be if you don't came in afford your own shoes. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> hey, and balls, doesn't it? You know what? You know what? Stu always, do you know what Stu always said about that? He says, "Why would I wear my shoes?" When the shoes that I'm getting from the bowling center, those shoes know the lanes. Yeah. And he's superstitious too, because he can't, whatever you give him is what he wears. Yeah. He, he will not return them. You could give him two sizes too small. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. He will wear them. He will not return them. So, uh, Ron, in, when we're touching base and getting things started in 2014, you had a a phone call that was memorable to you. Um, do you want to touch base on that? Yeah, it certainly was. Uh, Fraser Hambly. Uh, when we were playing, uh, going to be playing the Ontario team, I got talking to one, of, and I, I, be honest with you, I don't remember his name. Uh, that obviously somebody that knew uh, Fraser from for many years. And we got talking, and, uh, uh, and in the conversation, I mentioned Fraser's name and how much that I had admired his career. And over the years, heard so many stories about, about him. And I just looked up to him, even though I never got a chance to bowl against him. And uh, so th this gentleman, he says to me, he says, would you like to talk to him? And I go, yeah. And he goes, okay. So he dialed him on his cell phone and he phoned him. And him, so I got to talk to him and it was like, okay, if I'm a fan of Wayne Gretzky, I got to talk to my idol. Like, and I didn't, yeah. you know yeah. what I mean? Mm -hmm. You know, and uh, we talked for, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes on the phone and talked about things. And it dawned on me that he followed bowling and knew bowling so much. He knew who I was. And to me, that was a compliment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I really so much enjoyed that conversation with him that day, and it, it, it meant a lot to me. Absolutely. I'm glad you got that moment, for sure. Yeah. It's yeah. something to, to remember and, and cherish, for sure, right? It's, it means a lot. Yeah, to, to be able to sit there and talk to your idol on your your final day competitive bowling. And and I mean, honestly, and, and this is, isn't disrespectful, but I mean, at, at your age, too, you know, here, here you are. You had longer longevity in the game than... 99% of bowlers ever. Um, and I'm sure that if you went out there, you'd still average good. But um, here you are at, at your age in 2014, and you get to talk to your idol for the first time. That's just that's just super neat. Yeah, that, that was the way I looked at it. Like, and to me, that was special. You know, mm -hmm. Amazing. There's Tim. <laughs> shows what uh, kind of person Fraser Hamley is though, right? I mean, really, that he would be willing just to pick up and just talk to somebody like that. Um, yeah, yeah. Just had all the time in the world for everybody, right? So, yeah, that, that's that's who that's what I liked about hearing about Fraser. So that's kind of cool. Good to hear. Yeah. yeah. 
And some of his stories are, as you know, legendary about the game where he played when he was brought up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's, um, let, we've got a big topic on our bio. Um, back a few years, in 1980, you had said it's obviously a big year for your open career. But also in 1980, um, a pretty fun event that we want to hear more about, um, the Small Ball World Championship. <laughs> and that was in Manila, Philippines. I mean, we're just all, you know, getting excited to hear about this opportunity to travel globally and, you know, go and compete elsewhere. Um, Ron, tell us about how this tournament would to come together in the first place. Well, my understanding was that that year uh, that – they picked uh, the all-star team, whoever made the all-star team, which was four men and four women, got to go to play in the world small ball, first world small ball championships. And uh, Carling O'Keefe sponsored it. They put up uh, $100,000, if I remember correct. Al Hong went over, you guys know Al Hong, of course, as the coach and uh, I think it was Bill Bird from the uh, Ontario from the association, the, Canadian Five Pin Association went. And they originally, if I, if my memory serves me right, there was going to be five countries. There was going to be British Columbia or Canada for five pin bowling, Quebec for duck pin, bo- five, uh, duck pin bowling, soft belly, and then the States, Argentina, and the Philippines for hard belly duck pin. And are you guys familiar with the game of hard belly duck pins? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Okay. And by the time the event happened or it was time for it, the other countries, for whatever financial reasons or whatever, dropped out. And the program that I still have to this day shows three countries going to participate, Quebec, Canada, mm-hmm. and the Philippines. Well, Quebec never wind up, wound up making it there. Uh-huh. I don't know the reasons. I'm sure it was a financial situation or sponsorship or whatever. But we got to go to the event and we met in Vancouver, all the bowlers. And the bowlers on that team were myself and uh, uh, I've got it here. Let me just, Jim Fedorenko, of course. Mm-hmm. And Doug, Doug Oig out of Winnipeg was on that team from the men and uh oh i'm trying to think who else it was there you said don, al Hong. no don eakin and don eakin out of vancouver yeah okay. and uh we met in vancouver we went to hawaii for five days <laughs> if you can believe it well we got uh, a five-day holiday in hawaii I-, I can kind of believe it i did some quick math here and you were like Hundred thousand dollars in nineteen eighty. That works out to three hundred and thirty thousand dollars today. Yeah. So and there was a few Carling O'Keefe's drank at that event in Hawaii. <laughs> yeah, I can and imagine. That was our yeah. day off, days off to get used to the climate. I guess I don't know. Did you get to take a guest with you, or was it just you and just the no, no, no? Yeah, you 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 brought your mate or your your guest. Yeah, and yeah. I brought my wife, and it was a fantastic holiday Fun. until we got to Manila. 
<laughs> oh, really? What was the just well, we got, trying to go around and navigate where you were going? Now, would everybody be bowling in their own discipline, or how did the actual event itself work? No, well, we landed at the airport in Manila, and uh, the first thing you told us was when you were on you you land and you the plane lands on the tarmac and they said make sure that when you run don't run when you leave the plane because the armed guards will shoot your legs and then ask you why you were running because the country at that time was ruled by uh, a dictator ferdinand marcos okay okay and uh <laughs> That's intimidating. Yeah, <laughs> that's how we started the trip. But anyway, the first day we got in uh, and then the next day they took us to a place called Baguio City, which is a, uh, a city that the uh, American uh, army used to use as a, a base during the, the Second World War. and. And we went up there to relax for a day and get away from everything before we had to go to the tournament down in Manila. And while we were up there, um, we uh, got to bowl in the local bowling center, <laughs> a, a game of hard belly duck pins. And the bowling center had no doors and no windows. And the, the lanes were kind of dusty and dirty. Yeah, I don't and know. We wear, I think we were uh, slip-ons or something or slippers to bowl. And then <laughs> oh, really? we, at this point, we're wondering what are we in for in this event? But by the time we got back to Manila, we get to Manila and we go into this beautiful bowling center, like where they held the, the world 10-pin championships. Okay. It was theater style and had 40 lanes and it was wow. absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. Do you have yeah. photos of this? I hope somewhere. In yeah, the I do. I've got a lot of stuff there from there. Yeah. You'll have to get a hold of Tim or get a hold of those and try to get some photos of that someday. Yeah. And they had to send. So it turned out only the Philippines against Canada. So it was right. five pin against hard belly duck pins is really what the tournament turned out to be. And uh, they, uh, had to have the equipment or the pins set over from Canada, and we right. had to use and we had to use the balls that they used in that country for hard belly duck pins, which were a little bigger than the five pin ball. In those days, we didn't have personal bowling balls. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah. So, when the first day we went in for a practice round of bowling, the local team the the philippine team was practicing our game and they had the pins set up because they had to use pin boys for the five pin and they had to use they used the machines for the hard belly duck pins they had machines mm -hmm. but they had the pins set up with the uh three pins the two pin the three pin and the five pin were set off spot. So huh. interesting. Were they trying to do? Were they trying to do like? They didn't know how to. They didn't know how to set the five pins. They didn't have the the space between the three pin and the two pin and the three pin and the head right. pin. They were they were trying to do like in ten pin style one two three four six. 
sort of thing? Yeah, I guess that's what it would be. Yeah. 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 So we walked in and we we got introduced to them and they told us how easy our game was. Yeah, well, yeah, I would think so. (laughs) We line them all up together. So we wondered if we could play the same way, but then they got told how the game was supposed to be played. You know, that you've got to have the separation between the the three pin and the head pin and the three pin and the two pin. Yeah. But it was kind of, it was kind of funny, but at the end of the day, it turned out to be competitive enough between the two countries to like, we had to play one game of uh, hard belly duck pins and one game of five pins. Was it only two games? No, no, just, uh, no, it wasn't just two games. I mean, Whatever we played, it was a combination. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. That's crazy. So how many games did you guys end up playing? Uh, well, quite a few. There was a team event and uh, uh, singles. Team event and singles. And uh, it was over three days, and it was like uh, oh, nice. eight hours a day with the ladies' event, the team of the, the men's event, singles event for ladies and men's, yeah. That's hmm. awesome. Now, was there good crowds and local people that came to watch and support? And was it anything, you know, filmed or was it how they was had it? it on, they had it on television eight hours a day, every day. Oh, and then national television. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's awesome. There, there's some Filipino archives that we need to go diving in somewhere. <laughs> yeah, somewhere out there. But the, the people there were so friendly, so nice. And, and, and those guys were good bowlers. Like, we had to actually uh, figure out a system where we had to give them a handicap because the scoring on five pin was 450 and hard belly duck pins, it's 300. Right. Huh. What a neat experience. Now, why did it stop the year after? Do we have any knowledge of, of why this stopped? I mean, obviously, it's the dollar value of sponsors, <laughs> but. I'm assuming that's the answer, right? There's, you know, cash from a sponsor and hundred grand that you said put up. I mean, that would have been tough to to continue. Yeah, I wonder if there was any money that came out of uh, Carling O'Keefe if they made any money on it or not. They might. Yeah, I don't did. know. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. And I wonder, I wonder if when you that final year, if there's only two teams that end up going, I wonder, if, or sorry, two two countries that end up going. I wonder if that played into uh, O'Keefe's decision to sponsor that, you know? Mm-hmm. If you're looking to try to get more international exposure, you're hoping to hit the States and hit the hit Argentina and those places. But, uh, yeah. So yeah. How, did, how did we do? Exactly. Did you win? Um, yeah, we won, we won some medals. I won... I, w- I wound up uh, beating Jim Fedorenko in the semifinals of the all event to get my revenge. Oh, yeah, I bet you that felt really good. <laughs> yeah. And how you do it, you play one game of, we played one game of uh, five pin and one game of uh, hard belly duck pin. Right. And That's then you're so totally cool. moved on up the step ladder. You moved up the step ladder. But when I played the, <laughs> this is an embarrassment, but I have to tell you anyway. <laughs> So I played the national champion from the Philippines, who was the, the hard belly duck pin champion. And the first game we played was hard belly duck pins, and I beat him. Okay? Yeah. So You're probably not happy. I'm a lock right now. I'm a lock. <laughs> I, I've got this thing won, right? 
Well, guess what happened? He beat me scratch in the five-pin game. <laughs> oh, man. And he won. <laughs> well, if uh, Walt Brooks But he Brooks was a good is, bowler. Yeah, yeah. If Walt Brooks is any level to judge it, uh, duck-pin players can play five-pin, and five-pin can play duck-pin. They're pretty yeah. interchangeable sports. Yeah, yeah. That's a hard yeah. game, though. Have you guys ever played it? No, I played soft belly, but not hard belly. Yeah. Which brings the question there, Kerry, is, you know, you've got the international with, you know, Canada and the U.S. and Walt Brooks and the Canada and the, the duck pin. How many other countries are playing small ball, right? Um, is there a candle pin across the world, Argentina, or you know, anybody else that we know of that's playing anywhere? Yeah, well, we, we, yeah, we sort of discussed it before podcast. Argentina has duck pin, right? Um, and then, obviously, the States has duck pin. And cannel pin out east, we have cannel pin and duck pin and soft belly. But uh, Germany, yeah. Germany has nine pin, right? And Croatia has nine pin. If you ever looked that up, that's kind of wild. We had a bowler in our own in our own center once last year or the year before played nine pin, and it's 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 a totally different game out there. Um, actually, some some place in the Okanagan had a nine pin center. That was kind of crazy. Um, it's really kind of wild there, and I know that. Uh, reading through Walter Heaney and going through some other stuff that the Japanese were actually coming out and looking at uh, some of our five pin centers in the early eighties uh, or late seventies. They're really interested about it. So um, I don't know well, if anything's out there, but military I, bases for sure. Yeah. Have it, so. it was where the air force bases were. Yeah. That's where they had uh, a lot of the small ball bowling. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think somehow. Yeah, I think that's probably how it started in the Philippines because, as I mentioned, we went to this other city for a, a day before we went to Manila. We were playing in Baguio City, and it was basically a city that the U.S. Air Force or the, the Army and that used as a, a base during the Second World War, which was still operating. So are they still playing down in Philippines? Yeah. I yeah. believe so. Yeah. They are. Yeah. Actually, long story short, uh, Carrie and I, well, I know for sure my, my uh, Manhattan bowling balls are from the Philippines. I do a, a bowling ball swap with Damian McDonald when he goes out there. He grabs a bunch yeah. of bowling balls from the, from the buy, uh, buy and sell or from the thrift store, and then he yeah. brings them out here and he swaps them out here. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Oh, Steve Greenside saying that there was one a few years later in uh, Ontario. Neat. I think there's got to be some work dug into rejuvenating some small ball world championships and see what countries we can get involved or you know we talked before about how do you make a international five pin bowling championships you know or global world championships is there more you know funding available for sport mm -hmm. canada to for international competitions yeah no. exactly and i mean you yeah. look you look at candlepin i mean candlepin's only got you know, it in the eastern states and the eastern provinces of Canada, and they have a competition, and they call it Worlds. When yeah. They, right. So I mean, what I mean, yeah. let, let, let's make it real Worlds and have candle pin versus five pin and versus duck pin, Argentina, yeah. Philippines, all those places. Let's do that. Let's make well, it happen. There's a new tournament for five pin in in here World Championship of bowling. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway, guys, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention. The ladies that were on that team that went to the Worlds uh, it, that year in Manila was Claudia Lista from Ontario, who was, a, uh, I think, the singles champion that year. 
at, at the Nationals. Uh, Darian McConaughey from Edmonton. Yes. Hmm. You know her? Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I've seen her name in research, yes. Laura Mitchell from Ontario. And Louise Paulus from BC, who was one of the best five-pin lady bowlers in BC ever. Hmm. And she was on that team, yeah. That's awesome. Hmm. Now, the, the, other, the other funny story about that is because um, – at the end of the tournament, at the day be the day we were leaving to go to the airport, we were sitting in the lounge and we were trying to get rid of our pesos, our money. And uh, my wife likes this story because she shows that how stupid I was. <laughs> <laughs> we were we getting rid we got rid of our pesos. And we, we were going to have a cocktail before we left for the airport. So I wanted a, a, a drink of Crown Royal, a nice Canadian whiskey. So I ordered one from the bar and the guy came and said, yeah, I got enough for a drink. And the bartender and, uh, and I didn't have any money now because I'm out of pesos. So I put it on my credit card. Well, about three or four months later, I got the bill. It was thirty six dollars and fifty cents for that drink of Crown Royal. <laughs> Holy crap. <laughs> Something got messed up in the conversion there somewhere. Let, let me just do the uh, the inflation calculation here. Yeah. $118. <laughs> you know, on the conversion of the, when we went to the airport, when we went to the airport, we had this, tr I had this trophy that said, uh, runner up all events. So, and Louise, I believe she was the champion on the ladies, I believe. And she had a trophy. So we go to the airport and these Filipino people saw the trophies and they, they saw the writing on there donated by Ferdinand Marcos, which oh, no. was the dictator of the country. And they wanted to buy the trophy. Well, have you seen this trophy? It probably cost about $20 in Canada. Like, it was like, <laughs> I guess it's historic maybe, but it's got no value as far as the metal in it. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. I, wa People I wonder. People trying to buy the trophy of us, but I kept it. <laughs> Do you still have that trophy? Yeah, still got it. Oh, I bet yeah. you you could sell that thing for some decent money now, though. Yeah. We like, can put that on our store if you want. We can, we can yeah. offer it off. I got to totally. donate it somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. It goes into it. It goes into yeah. somewhere, somewhere yeah. perfect for you. Yeah. Anyway, it was a great trip, and I, I just—it's it, too bad that that event couldn't be carried on and one day tried again. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I I know. So the. United States and Argentina every year, and maybe it might be every second year, has a, a team match play event. So I think Argentina comes up here at least every second year. So it'd be kind of neat to start a world where we would go down to wherever in Massachusetts or whatever, and we could play against everybody in a duck pin tournament or something. You could mm -hmm. maybe work something out. Call it like the Pan Americas or something. Well isn't there a um, a duck pin tour, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Jeff Young, and there's a bunch of guys that play over there in the duck pin tour. You know, yeah. maybe it's tied in somehow with that or one of the events or a bunch of us from the West, we all pick one event 
that we're all going to go to. We're going to go play in a duck pin event, right? And just bring bring this ship, you know. To this. I, th- I think so, I think it, think it would be great. Yeah. I mean, uh, at one point, uh, Sylvain Bercier, we had a mm-hmm. uh, at the C five, we had a a roundtable discussion how to you know create more interest and whatnot, and we always had eleven teams for like the we always had a buy team for the teams for the open because you always have for the men mixed and ladies because we have odd number territories oh, yeah. and and he said why don't we bring an american team in there great right? idea. and so that, i mean we've tossed that idea yeah, around for a little while right and so um i mean that's we haven't talked about it in a while but i mean that could be another option where they bring an american team up for the c5 but right. I, I think that's something that definitely needs to be looked at again because I think I think that would be amazing. Even if you get five people to come up here from Dockpin to go play in that, or six people in that event, and you sit there and it's like, okay, these guys had an absolute blast playing this tournament, and then they go back, they take a they they video it or whatever, they take it back, just spark interest down there too, right? We need little things like that. I mean, Walt comes up for these tournaments and he loves our game. He loves five pin, and he is at the very, very upper echelon of the duck pin tour. He's like top five ever, really, from All what time, I remember, yeah. right? So, yeah. and and he loves our game. So, yeah. it, it's it's stuff like that, like that. That's we need to get exposure, and that's a great way of doing it. Yeah. Well, is, is there nothing west of... coast? Sorry. Is there anything west coast? Like I know the, the duck pin's more east coast, right? So. T- yeah. Ten yeah, it's all East Coast as far as I know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's kind of funny because Kathy kind of mentioned until somebody wins and then they'll get pissed. Sylvain Bercier won their big event, their $10,000 event the one year. So there has been Canadians going down there and, and making good money. I think the, it's pretty all-inclusive from what I understand. They want they want just as many competitions as we do, right? It is now. It is yeah. now. Originally it was. I mean... I think Nathan Cooper's one, Connie Ward's in their Hall of Fame. Um, and I think, honestly, uh, the group of them, where they moved uh, a bunch of them, they befriended each other. We used to go up to Jeff's place and go up to Neb's, and now they go da- go back down there. I think it's uh, turned out to be a really good uh, uh, mix of people where it's uh, – at the beginning, I think it was really tough. When the people I mean, everything to do with the lane, the lane is still the same distance. You know, the balls are pretty much the same. Yeah. Um, it's really just the size of the pins and the separation of the pins. So you should be able to adjust and figure out the rotation and the ball movement and, you know, to, to the scoring. Yeah. Obviously, it's going to be different. It's going to take some learning. But, yeah, I mean, the, the players that are on our tour likely can adjust well. The, the hard belly duck pins, as I remembered in the Philippines, was the balls were a little heavier. They were yeah. like, I think, three pounds, 12 ounces. But yeah. some of them they had there went up to like four and a half pounds. Holy and I can remember I can remember trying to change my style and going from a three-step backup to throwing a five-step hook ball. And the hook ball, throwing a curve or a hook, worked better on the pinfall then, you know, you you really don't throw a backup ball with the old uh, the the style that we used as a finesse ball throwing a backup ball in five pin. It worked better throwing it more like a ten pin ball. Is the, what my recollection was to to throw at the uh, and more speed. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's that's what Walt's always said too is that speed is important, but the thing the thing that that makes that he thinks that five pin bowlers would be way better at it than than duck pin bowlers coming to five pin is that we are far more accurate. <laughs> so it that that's that's what he said. No, no, <laughs> so yeah. you could you could quote you could quote me. So I think that that's a big part. But and he says mix. You know you need to have good rotation on your ball, and um, that really helps a lot with it. So speed, rotation, accuracy. So it really translates well to our our game now as opposed to the game back in the past for sure. Now here's the question: Tim and Dex, can you guys hook up and get some candle pins? And then you got to sell. You need a pin boy at the back to set the pins. I mean, you guys are. <laughs> I- I have know. candle pins. Yeah. Do you? Let's see some yeah. trick shots with some candle pins here, guys. We're, we already have trick shots with candle pins. Dexter has been too lazy not to load it, though. Oh. I haven't seen you load them either, Tim. Uh, <laughs> I've been busy working. <laughs> <laughs> working where? Yeah. yeah. Anyways, cool conversation regarding uh, the Small Ball World Championships. Ron, thanks for sharing that with us. I know what a career highlight that would have been for the in a few years ago, but uh, to be able to go to something so big and so the Philippines is very cool. For sure. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Let's uh, let's chat a little bit about the, the time you've obviously spent. We talked earlier about you being a proprietor. Um, you know, since 1974, you bought the trail lanes. We were talking earlier. Do we know any proprietors that have owned their bowling alley or managed their bowling alley for that long? Um, there was a couple that we brought up. Who was it? Um, Arnie uh, Rollins? Yeah, yeah, he was 1973. Wow. Yeah. Well, I knew a couple in BC that uh, have been in it, uh, in their family even longer than I was. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, some of them have maintained it in their family for sure for more even more years. One is in Vernon. Vernon has had a family. Uh, I, when I first came in, the guy who has it now, uh, his father was the original proprietor. And uh, I remember that. And and even in the Nimo, uh, Ray Britton, who owns the bowling center now, has a really nice bowling center and and has done a lot for five pin bowling for the island and for BC uh, yeah. in the administration side. And uh, as I mentioned, uh, when I first got started bowling, his father owned the bowling center. So, hmm. and they built a new bowling center in the early seventies. I think they've been in business for 60 years. Yeah. Wow. How, how long has the Sanderson's own Toppler in Calgary, do we know? Uh, 25 years. 25? Yeah. Yeah. But, I, I mean, Nebs is a good example, too. Right? They, I, that's been passed down generation to generation because, I mean, Tom's owned it forever, and, and obviously Jeff's involved, but it was uh, Jeff's grandpa, Tom's dad, that that originally built them all, right? So, um, yeah. Yeah. I There's think that's important. We need, Dude, we need to have the families keep doing it. The only yeah. thing I can think of is close is um, is Bonnie. I mean, even though they don't own it, Martin and, and uh, his dad ran Bonnie Dune for how long? Yeah. Right? It'd be cool to see a top 10 or a 15, you know, data of longest serving proprietors, longest serving managers, right? Whether it's a family connection or individuals. Right. I think that's mad respect for anybody and keeping it in their family or themselves, you know, managing and running a bowling alley for that long. So good on those. We're seeing some good comments from people that have had 
uh, bowling center for a long time. Some of the names, obviously, we don't recognize it and know. So, and somebody you had mentioned earlier, uh, Ron, is uh, Larry Rochette. I mean, he's owned he's owned quite a few bowling alleys in his time, hasn't he? Just a couple of different ones. Uh, yes, he has. He 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 owned a bowling center in Kamloops, uh, and then of course now in Hunter Mile House. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, heavily involved in the game for sure. And a real, he was a really good bowler too, and still is a good bowler. Amazing. He was on our team at the Open in two thousand and nine. Just a solid player, really solid player. And his yeah. son was awesome. Absolutely. Yeah, Chris. Chris. I'm- so where where is their center? Hundred Mile House. Hundred Mile House, yeah, is where they are now. Yeah. Oh, well, looks like we've got great comments here. So, <laughs> Wiseman Brothers, you might have some work tomorrow to find out some more data on some of these old old centers. <laughs> some of these. You're welcome. You're welcome. But yeah, the yeah. Marino since the '47, right? Port Coquitlam, we've seen. April Lanes and so, Grandview. I don't know who was Grandview. Yeah, Port Coquitlam would have a great history. That that family, the Madaski family, has had that business for many, many years. Yeah, before I was in there, uh, I remember Mal Madaski, and then it passed it on to his son. And yeah, um, Matt Eisenhower bringing up the Marinos owning Grandview. I mean, there, there's a center with one of the most like most historic centers in Canada for sure. Um, you talked about legends playing you know, or hearing from Fraser Hambly and stuff like that. And we talked about Billy Thomas, but one of Billy Thomas's good friends was Frank Levine. Um, and Frank Levine is, yeah. is the guy who absolutely ripped apart uh, Grandview, that's for sure. Um, yeah. Did you ever get the chance to play against Frank? Yeah, I sure did. I sure did. And uh, I, I always have three people in my mind that were the legends of this game in my mind. Okay. Mm-hmm. Frank Levine, Bruce Mortar, and Fraser Hanley. Those are yeah. my top three. Honestly, I think and I, I think... would have. I would have loved to have been able to play. I did play against, with and against Frank Levine a little bit when he moved to BC, and he was he was a, a wonderful bowler. And uh, I, I remember a tournament that I had in uh, a twenty game marathon in Port Moody. And I happened to be on the same lanes as him for quite a few of the shifting around of the lanes. And I can tell you a story that I don't know, maybe it gets stretched a bit at the end, but um, he won the tournament in the 20 games and he had in the high seventies corner pins out of the 200 frames. And he spared every corner pin until the last one that he shot at. He, he spared like 78 out of 79 or something like that. The well, guy, was, his ball wasn't working. You knew how they threw that ball. Now he was this too, wasn't he? Yeah. You, yeah. The, the duck pin ball with the throwing the ball back this way. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, if he was bowling in Grandview, they had the lanes dressed. So the ball would, would uh, uh, stop sliding. He would block them. Yeah. Yeah, they block them, I guess you'd call it. Yeah. And at at that 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 tournament, the lanes weren't dressed for his his style of bowling. He still won the tournament because he's picked he picked all his corner pins. Now Crazy. how close to the head pin would that would you want that ball to switch and go the other direction? I'm guessing it must have been at least twenty feet. 
Okay, so it's still got some yeah. forward momentum and rotation yeah. on it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now the crazy part, from my understanding from Frank, is that the pins never really left the deck. Right? They didn't. They weren't splashing. Right? A lot of the pins. Oh were, no! They, no, they, they crumbled. The yeah, they crumbled. Yeah. The so pins just softly crumbled. That's the way I remember it. Yeah. Yeah. But his corner pin picking was out of this world. Hmm. Especially See, throwing that that way, I feel like that would be so hard to pick the corner. I think hitting the middle would be fine, but getting the corners, no. I know. I've I've tried it, and it's just like oh. I can't believe it. Like I just, I just want to take a moment to tell Carrie to shut up. <laughs> you're number one now, Dex. Imagine how high you could be if you picked corners. Jesus. <laughs> you, you know, another funny thing. When I told you that on the program when we went to the Philippines, the original program, uh, they had Quebec listed as going to be at the tournament, and they had their lineup of their players. Oh. And guess who was in that line lineup for Quebec? Andre Morissette. Oh, yeah. oh, sure. I've seen some videos of him playing. A bowling uh, in the old uh, O'Connor Bowl in the TV days back in the, yeah. I don't know, 50s, 60s. Yeah. 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 That's cool. It was funny, he was uh, going to be on that team. That would have been awesome. Steve Greensides actually just shared a video of uh, the 87 CBCs, I believe. And uh, Andre was playing, and then a little bit later, um, the last three minutes, uh, Dwight Anderson was playing. Uh, oh yeah! In there. Oh so really? It was, it was great to watch Dwight. Yes, yeah. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> I, I wasn't born yet, but I mean, it was, it was great watching. <laughs> great watching everybody play that. I love watching that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but he was yeah. he was a great puller. There was another one, Andre Morissette. Yeah. When did like Frank's career sort of end? <sighs> Well, the, the, the year in 1980, when we won the, uh, our, our Kootenai team won the Provincials and they won the singles, Frank was the coach of the lower mainland team. And uh, shortly after, I think, not maybe mid-80s, early 80s, mid-80s, uh, you'd have to ask, the guy to ask that would be a guy like Larry Johnson. He would know that in Vancouver. Yeah, we have to maybe yeah. dig up some more info there because that's one that I know that in the West we've seen a lot of tournament champions. Autumn Open, I think, Rose Bowl, right? Mm -hmm. um, there's got some. There's a stretch there. There was three out of four and stuff, and we all, as as kids, looked up and this who is this Frank Levine, right? And never had the chance to to meet or know or compete against them. So, yeah, his uh, his titles came in the early '70s on, I guess, what you would call the tour now, but who knows why he didn't play beyond that if it was a degradation in health or i'm not i'm not too sure but he was definitely dominant in the early 70s that's mm -hmm. for sure just from the small amount of information we have right um that was a good one actually <laughs> that was really good <laughs> uh Poor Johnstone. <laughs> finally, finally, finally annoyed by pinball. That's guy. that's awesome. Um, from my understanding, like his health did kind of go down a little bit. Like he couldn't he couldn't throw the backup the the backup rotation ball anymore. So when he ended up having to sw switch over underhand, he was still really good, but he wasn't dominant the way he used to be, for right. sure. Yeah, I heard that too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Kind of um, ended fast for him. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess. 
Um, from a proprietor side, Ron, what sort of things have changed so much over the years? I mean, obviously, have you have you managed to keep the same leagues going, or have you had to adapt and make changes to um, to keep the business afloat, or, or what what type of things have changed? No, we definitely had to make a lot of changes. I mean, as you guys know, especially uh, 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 you guys that are running the bowling centers, uh, they the the old days it was double leagues. Every night, uh, and now it, you've got to be in the entertainment side of the business too. It's got to be. In our case, right now, I would say in our center for the last few years, we've been at least probably sixty percent more in the entertainment side, parties, disco bowling, that kind of stuff, and league bowling is not the same. And it's just the way the world is today. Today, mm -hmm. with the, you know, people. People working, every the whole family works, you know, the, the husband and the wife, and times have changed. When I first bought the bowling center, I had uh, Monday to Friday, I had two leagues every night. Crazy. It's you just you didn't unbelievable have to sell. the changes. Yeah, you, you didn't have to sell the sport. The sport sold itself at yeah. that time, right? Yeah. Everybody wanted to be involved and everybody was doing it. And yeah. um, now we have to absolutely sell it in every facet that we can, for sure. So the future for the game to me is to make sure that the providers look after both ends of it. You still have to look after the youth and promote your leagues because it can turn, especially with the COVID situation, we could get back to a situation where families are going to change again and we're going to have one person working and people are going to go back and start bowling in leagues like they used to. This is what I'm hoping anyway. And you better keep promoting the uh, the entertainment side of the game. Yeah, uh, you got I, totally I totally agree. The, the league bowlers is where that's your steady income, right? You you need to have that. It's just consistent money to pay the bills, and then and then you have the the open play come in, and you have to cater to them because they're the ones that bring in the profit. Yeah, really. yeah, so, that that's right, exactly. For sure. Um, throughout your time. Do you have, well, what is your, what is your favorite change to the game? And what's your, like, what what's your least favorite change to the game? Because you've, you've seen, you've seen lots of things. You were talking about the blow pin. You've, we, we've seen synthetic lanes come in. You've seen, you've got, you went from, you know, setting pins to free fall to string machines. You're, um, you're, it you've seen it all. You're, you're making him sound like he's seen the airplane. He's gone through all the world wars. And yeah, he was. <laughs> he was. He was. He was friends <laughs> with the Wright brothers, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're basically you're basically telling me I'm a dinosaur. Yeah, that's what I'm getting. That's what I'm, you nice can interpret you. things nice however you. you'd like, Ron. Yeah. <laughs> well, the facts are the facts. So. <laughs> well. What was the question again? <laughs> that's fair. What, that's fair. Yeah. What what was your what was your favorite change to our game and what was your least favorite change to our game? I don't think I have a least favorite change. I think all the changes have been good, like progressive, like you know, went to strings, went to synthetic lanes. The game has changed a lot. In the old days, the bowlers were more finesse bowlers bowling on wood. You had to read the lanes and do a backup or a hook or whatever. And now the game now, as I see it, you, you, you run, there's a lot of fastball bowlers. 
you got the synthetic lanes and you just you can rifle that ball and be accurate i don't know maybe i'm reading this wrong but no uh, no i i totally agree i totally agree with you the thing that's really cool to me ron is the fact that you were able to be successful at all levels of the game throughout those changes because free fall balls were that free fall bowling was completely different and it was in in yep it was inducive to better scoring with a different style than than what it is now and you've managed to maintain longevity through all of it don't ask me how <laughs> what is what do you have right now in in trail deer lanes then what's the, the name of your lanes is what glen mary bowl glen mary bowl it's a district just outside of uh, town like a mile and a half out of town it's okay. the district of glen mary so it's called glen mary bowl and, and we've been synthetics uh recently you know about three years ago and uh um what computer system? Gonna, pardon? What computer system? It's still uh, the uh, Brunswick. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. As a proprietor, is putting putting in synthetics does does that not feel so good once it's in? Oh yeah, well, I spent like uh, almost forty years with wood and you know the old sand jobs and everything else. It was I, more I, interesting trying to keep them going, but oh my god, it was yeah. terrible. I only spent like 12 or 13 years doing that. And I was like, oh my God, I cannot wait for synthetics to come in. I, yeah. I, I miss the wood. I'm like, don't get me wrong. Well, I, I do miss, too. As I a bowler, I miss the wood. Yeah. I miss the scoring of it. I miss reading the lanes of reactions and stuff like that. But I mean, the first TikTok video, I almost, almost hit the shield. Um, I was okay with it. I mean, it... <laughs> but, but Tim, you're sitting here talking about reading the lanes, but you make no adjustments. <laughs> so like so how does that work for you Ooh, these lanes move a little bit more throw the same ball oh, two for two for muting um this 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 podcast is about ron not about me so uh... well we could change it no yeah. no. <laughs> no no we're we're really good here yeah you think that synthetic from bowling center to bowling center being synthetic it makes it easier to adjust like there's more similar conditions from each center Oh, wood yeah. in every center. It's a lot different. Know what I'm asking? I mean, there's there's weather conditions. Yeah. There's the air conditioning. There's all those extra conditions. But for the most part, do you think that having synthetic is similar from house to house? It definitely. It's more. It's it. It is more consistent. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think that's kind of the whole thing behind it, right? Is the the consistency and the less maintenance the less chance you're going to have those changes. But even the, the difference between the, the different types of synthetics by different huge. companies, there's some differences in that, especially with approaches, right? Approaches are the, the huge difference. But for sure. But I mean, even, even like uh, we have the same synthetics as Heritage and our approaches are significantly are faster, yeah. significantly faster. So, so yeah, there's differences for sure. So here, here, here let's, let's talk about free fall, right? I mean, free fall, I think is it's not never going to come back. I, I really hate to say that. It's just uh, it, it's just because of the lack of machines and the money and everything else like that. Um, Ten pin actually had, the magazine came out today, and uh, a lot of the centers are actually moving to string, right? So you, you're going to see a lot of ten pin facilities uh, going to be start moving into string, and that's going to be a huge different thing out there. 
and I don't yeah. know how that's going to affect the PBA and all the other thing. Um, right. I mean, obviously I think technology is going to be a little, hopefully a little bit better, <laughs> but, uh, I, th I think it's going to be a, a lot of stringing. When we're in Vegas talking to the people down there. One, you don't have to have a mechanic on less, less maintenance and less, less, uh, obviously wages, but it's less like people running some, uh, Joe Blow can go back there and not hurt himself a lot less of a mm -hmm. chance than, than, uh, than somebody else, right? Less moving well, parts. And the state, uh, well, and they, they sanctioned it in, in Canada already to be used in all major events. But mm -hmm. I mean, and the states are going to be like one up on all of us. I mean, the, here, here they are. They've been using free fall forever. But in Canada, we've been using strings for a long time. And we have all these 10 pin machines, convertible machines already built and already really well made, super good for maintenance, last forever, automatically fix their own tangles, stuff like that. Um, so, I mean, the, the states could flip over in a heartbeat and already have everything built for them. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. The the thing, too, is um, I don't know if you'll ever see it on the PBA, like on the TV shows, because there's so much money in it. They'll they'll literally set up two lanes in an arena just to have the TV show. But I, yeah. don't, I think your qualifying and stuff for that for the main tour could be on string. Yeah. Because if, if all your bowling centers move over for the financial responsibility, it makes a lot of sense, right? Mm-hmm. Has anybody uh, watched the, 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 the string bowling on 10 pins? I've never seen it. Where I played you know, it, yeah. It works okay with the strings on 10 pins? Yeah, yeah it's, it's for the most part, yeah. You don't really notice, like, obviously, for, like, for a casual player playing on it, I don't really notice much difference. Um, but, I mean, I, I haven't seen it on, like, a, a live, like, professional use it. I, I haven't seen a so, whole lot of difference. Yeah, so they I don't think it was a regional event for um, the tour, but they did hold like a cash tournament down in the States, I think in St. Louis area. And a lot of the pro bowlers that played it noticed they got like trip tens a lot more because the string would pull the 10 pin over. Um, so okay, you, didn't get, right. you didn't get the blow tens and stuff like that. But uh, they said it wasn't it wasn't much, not much drastic difference, right? So, hmm. which is really what you're hoping for. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and, uh, you don't want variants. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, sure. They may be a little less happy about how, I mean, the bowlers I'm sure love getting that trip 10, but at the same time, 10 pins worked at the, at the professional level to almost reduce scoring because it's crazy, right. With the different pin fall or the different patterns and stuff like that. So I'm not sure if that's something that they're super enthused about, but um and they could always they could always fix that with the oil pattern right they could just make they it could just yeah. make the oil pattern tougher and then you you won't be getting pocket hits anymore you'll be crossing the face right so yeah. 10 has a lot more options that way so i i don't think 10 or string will kill the industry i think it'll actually help it but yeah agreed um don sim had a good question any bc centers with 17 8 17 inches you know of for guys i not that i'm aware of yeah, yeah. not me neither no yeah, i can't think of anything. there's only a handful that we know of across the country anyways right so yeah, yeah. um tim you one of his uh, personal stats now it looks like you might have had a good little block here um and in some of those scores what were those tim the the perfect 
You, you had a perfect. You had a perfect game. You had. You had one, yeah, and sanctioned and a couple in pub in you know public. But uh, uh, let's see what were the other ones. Uh, my triple was eleven twenty one. Yeah. Which was done locally at my own bowling center. It's pretty big. Um, uh, thirteen seventy six block, which again was in our four four game. Uh, Masters League that we had. Um, I didn't really ever keep track of any 10 game or eight game or any of that thing. So I don't know what that would be. Uh And my highest average was 275, two or three times around 275, 274. Was the perfect game on free fall or string? No, it was, it was on free fall and it was way back in the early sixties. And it was in a doubles tournament. A Christmas doubles tournament, yeah. Me. And actually, in the tournaments, I uh, over the years, I had two 448 games. Left the corner <laughs> bin twice. <laughs> Crazy. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> yeah. One was a good hit and one was a terrible hit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. But, the, uh, was the triple yeah. and quad all in the same block as, that, as the perfect game, or were those done? I'll no, it was in a, a three-game, a three-game, a three-game mixed league, hmm. four-player mixed league. Yeah, hmm. on free fall. Because what's that? That's three sixty average, three seventy. No four hundred game. It was like three a three ninety game, a three fifty game, a three sixty or three seventy game, something like that. Yeah. Wow. And then the quad was also same time, or is that a different time? No, that was in a four-game four, four uh, league. Right. Yeah. Because that's also a 345-something average for that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you said you did that in uh, in your Masters League there. Do you do you have a lot of, like, good competition down there to, to play against in your local center, or...? Um, uh, not anymore. Uh, our numbers have dropped as far as the high high average bowlers. Uh, yeah. There's a there's a few uh, three or four three or four guys that are still throwing decent averages, but uh, the numbers have dropped drastically over the years for sure. Yeah. Sure. And you, Darren uh, still there. Darren's still there. He's still he still bowls a decent average, but. I, I like I liked how you're like, and then there's Darren. So. Yeah, there's <laughs> he's, not, he's not a great bowler, but it's Darren. Yeah. Let's talk he's about a, Darren here. Darren's got an okay average. He's he's all right. Yeah, <laughs> he's all right. Um, so I do want to clarify that uh, you you've taken a lot of money off Darren over the years in your pot games. I hear. Oh, hundreds of thousands actually. Yeah. We, Darren and I used to play for real money, and then we used to play for imaginary money. <laughs> so, okay. the real money was when help. real money was when he won, and imaginary imaginary money was when <laughs> yeah, you exactly. won. No, no, no. It was like we would play and we'd put our twenty or thirty or fifty dollars out there and play. But then we had this imaginary game where we played. Okay, we're going to play fifty bucks a frame. Okay, or five hundred dollars a game, and then maybe fifty dollars a ball. So we'd add all this money up, and for years, for years he couldn't beat me, and I had him up to about—I uh, think I had him up to about 
300, three, $350,000 the other day. <laughs> and, and I imagine you actually kept a ledger and kept track of it. Oh, you're damn right. So I had it all written down. <laughs> do, it, do you still have that somewhere? That's got to go. No, I don't. <laughs> but anyway, the, the end of the story was that finally he caught on that he's better than me. He didn't realize it for a long time. Then he came into the bowling alley one night and we did an all-nighter. And at the end of the night, I owed him about a quarter of a million dollars. I had lost my house and my bowling alley. <laughs> I think maybe even my wife. That was the end of that. So That sounds something like Rich would do, for sure. <laughs> I love it. Um, I've got to say, I've always absolutely loved hearing your guys' relationship. It, well, you know what? At the end of the day, he got me really back into the competitive bowling in my latter years because he encouraged me on how well he was doing and up and coming and inspired me to keep going for a lot longer than uh, maybe than I should have. But but I'm glad I did. So, yeah, no, he, he was an inspiration to me for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And, and I know you were an inspiration to him, too, for sure. He said he's uh, he he owes a lot to you for being where he is for sure. Um, he said it was a, a hard relationship at times, <laughs> like you were you were hard on him. But I mean, every you know we had Tom Stevenson as a coach, and he was hard on us, and it 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 turns out good sometimes. And I love that you guys were always like super competitive against each other. But you guys have always been obviously the best of friends, and um, it's it's super neat hearing. Yeah, no, there was, there's almost 30 years difference in our age, but he's definitely uh, one of my very best friends for sure. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. So he said, he said that, or you said that uh, he kept you competitive in your latter years. Do you remember what your last average was? Uh, I think 251. <laughs> 250. And, and, and if you don't mind me asking at what age was that? Uh, I don't know. 72 73 that's incredible you could have said 29 ron we wouldn't uh, we wouldn't have judged you. <laughs> yeah you just said that's actually you're an asshole for asking yeah. <laughs> hey, hey tim tim what yeah. was your last average my last average yeah. yeah 268 uh no it was like 240 something wasn't it no no 268 um <laughs> and on thursdays 251 <laughs> oh yeah you you threw a good last week to get it over 250 that's right and how old are you um 74 <laughs> <laughs> seems about right <laughs> you know what 10 10 10 15 years from now you'll be a better bowler than you are now uh i hope if so. you stay with it yeah yeah what what would you say was your absolute peak age uh about uh 40 to 45. Perfect. Right. Perfect. Yeah. There's hope for me. Yes. I'm in the wheel. Oh, yeah. That also means you only have a couple of years, Daryl. Yeah, shit. You're right. <laughs> yeah, I, can get my I can get my vaccine now, so I'm good. Yeah. 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 Well, um, we're closing in on that two-hour mark, so we'll probably try and wrap this up, Ron. Is there any last comments or last things you want to add to this podcast for uh, our audience? Yeah, I would just like to say one of the questions you asked about uh, about what's positive about bowling now. 
I think it's what's positive is what you guys are doing with this program and running that tour. I think that is so great for five pin bowling and just keep doing it. Thanks, Thank you very much. Yeah. We, we, uh, we try our hardest <laughs> uh, as much as that goes. Um, like obviously we know the Wiseman's are, are, uh, on a shutdown stuff like that, but they got a lot going on and, we try and bring what we can for bowling, especially for Alberta being shut down, but for the rest of the country, bring people in like you, yourself, um, a large part of BC history, and uh, we hope we can keep getting people involved and keep this thing going. I hope you can too, and, and I think you will because you guys have you've got the right attitude, so keep going. Our attitude's shitty. What are you talking about? <laughs> it helps having Daryl keeping us on track the whole time. Because if it was just us, we'd be all over the place. I mean, well, you got to have one sensible guy on your program. Yeah, well, I don't, don't give me too much credit. I just change the subject a few times here and there. <laughs> it's all good. No, I'm super glad that we had you on, Ron. Obviously, long, long, great career. I know you've uh, you've got your wife there with you, and a lot of great comments from everybody here. That uh, you know lots of love for you for sure and in the history so we're super pumped and happy to have you on big daddy yeah okay. please, please follow Take care. please uh please follow in the same steps as uh, billy thomas there and start showing up at some of these tournaments because we'd I'll, really I'll love to have a beer with you again see you guys okay absolutely oh, awesome okay. thanks right. ron thanks ron really appreciate it buddy bye-bye well that's awesome having him on um like i said we kind of talked to her a little bit earlier. I think the last time I actually seen him was Regina a few years ago. And uh, there may be some pictures out there. If people scour Facebook, uh, they might be able to find some. I don't think we should be able to share them here. but <laughs> <laughs> Some people, you have to do some uh, some research on their own. But Yeah. Yeah, that sure. was a great uh, guest. Tim, good job. I mean, that's, uh, you know, like you said, five decades of making it to nationals, 47 years of being a proprietor. I mean, there's a lot of history there that Ron's been in the game of five pin bowling. So uh, yeah. great to share some stories. I'm sure we could have talked for hours. We want to hit on some of the, 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 the key topics and the key points and, and keep it interesting. But yeah, like you said, Dex, come out to tournaments, big daddy, love to talk more. And I think it, it inspires other people now that are at tournaments to actually talk to the guest we've had on here. Maybe he says, Hey, I saw you as a guest. I learned this about you. It might open up some doors and mm -hmm. conversations out there. Right. I tell you what, I, I feel super grateful that we, we got to know him. I mean, even at our age, like, you know, going to Scottsdale and whatever and getting to getting to know him out there, uh, he was always a person that we absolutely looked forward to talking to every time. We would talk about him for a full year because the guy's absolutely hilarious and he sits there and parties mm -hmm. with us. And, and But he was so inclusive of everybody. And you hear all, you see all these people in the chat uh, from people from BC who have known Big Daddy forever and have absolutely loved the guy. And it's awesome that, you know, we got to meet him for a couple of years out of Scottsdale or 10 years. And and uh, he he instantly one of our favorites, always. Yeah. yeah, look forward to seeing him again out there if he decides to travel to the to events, even just to watch. If he's not competitive anymore, he'll still be amazing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, who do we got? Yeah. Uh, next week, we've got Don Betts coming on. So uh, Don Betts. Uh, from Ontario, well, now he's in Nova Scotia, and we have a couple more uh, stones in the fire for the next ones, and then uh, the hundredth one in, I guess, three podcasts. 
Nice. All right. No, four podcasts. Four podcasts. Four. Four. Four, yes. Well, we're still thinking of great things to do. If anybody has uh, anything they want to add to it and stuff like that, ship it off to Tim Wiseman. He's uh, got nothing better to do. So. Yeah, it'll go into the, it'll, it'll go, it'll go into the junk folder, but you yeah. know what? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, only but if you're from Manitoba. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of thanks, though, to our, our people listening, yes. uh, following along in the chat, contributing to the show. That's, um, you know, super helpful and appreciate the, the content adding there. And obviously, everybody who's listening, um, not live on the on the Apple podcast or wherever you listen to your podcast. We need more people listening, more people sharing, whether it's, you know, Facebook, YouTube, podcasts, followers, listener, we're, uh, we're doing what we can. So, yeah, exactly. Keep all right, let's do, the, let's do this all-star draw. Um, I think we should do five five randoms for um, the five decades, right? Yeah, good call. Five randoms. Okay, so I have 30... How many, how many names did I have in here? 32 names. So that's almost all of the viewers today. So uh, thanks for commenting. Jeff Watts, you're still in there. Don't worry. <laughs> Uh, let's do it five times. Here we go. Once. Twice. Three. Four. All right, who's it going to be? And anybody but Brett. Anybody but Brett. <laughs> Probably Jeff Watts. Alpacat. Nice. Good hit. All right, that's not bad. Yeah. Like yeah, that. excited for Don Betts next week. I know, Tim, I think you're looking at a bio or sent one out. I don't know a lot about uh, Don, so I know very popular and well-known in the Ontario area. So it'll be great to yeah. get to know him and, and chat more next week for sure. Yeah, I think it'd be really good. Um, he won the KG in 87, and I knew that. And he's obviously tops, he ranked him seventh all-time at 05. So uh, nice. he'd be really good, yeah. Good. Perfect. All right. Well, we'll uh, see you all next week, guys. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, guys.